Well, you have been working through uh, this uh, series uh, on Ephesians called Together. Am I right on that? Is that, that correct? Okay, so we are now on chapter four. Everybody say four. All right. How many people have also been to Ikea? Okay. And how many people have, you know, turfed a box of furniture pieces onto the floor and then prayed, okay? And yeah, that's it. And so we need the instructions. Men? Well, for five minutes, at least we need the instructions, okay? All right. So we need the instructions to put all the pieces together. Well, Ephesians 1 to 3 have been putting all the furniture pieces on the floor, all the good stuff that Jesus has done for the church and for our lives, okay? Chapters 4 to 6 for the rest of the, is the instructions how to put all of those pieces together to build something in our lives for the glory of God. That's what Ephesians 4 to 6 is really all about. So Paul takes a different shape shift in Ephesians 4. It's more like the, the sort of chapters of application, if you like, okay? And so we're going to read the first 16 verses together, and, uh, and then I'm going to get into the heart of what I feel the Lord wants me to share with you guys this morning. Is that okay? So Ephesians chapter 4, if you've got a device, a tablet, a phone, if you're going old school, all right, with paper, all right, by all means, open that up, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to do the first uh, 16 uh, verses together. Okay, so if you're ready, give me a yo. Oh, you're ready. Okay. All right, Ephesians 4, as a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It's already awesome, isn't it? Chapter 4, verse 1, we're only in a few lines, and here it is, it's incredible. And then he says, be completely humble and gentle. Not so much. Okay, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7 goes on, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Verse 9, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. What incredible language to fill the whole universe. How big is God? How great is Jesus? And then verse 11, this is familiar to some of you. So Christ himself uh, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Say mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Are you still with me? Brilliant. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body. Say mature. 
mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Verse 16, our last verse, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Will you allow me to paraphrase this morning, okay? Paul is saying, given in chapters 1 to 3, everything God has done for you, how you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, now you've been reconciled by God, you've been repurposed and gifted by Jesus. If you want to make your mark on this world for His name and for your glory, and I believe open arms you do, anyone in the room not want to make their mark for the glory of God? We all want to make our mark for the glory of God. Then Paul says this, Brian version, okay, this is what you have to do. He says, if you want to glow up for God, you need to grow up in Jesus. Can I get an amen? If you want to have a glow, who wants a glow up? I need a glow up. Okay, I mean, I need a glow up. But if you want to glow up for God, then what we need to do is to grow up in Jesus. Let me say this to you this morning, if I may. It's a bit of a challenge to me. You're probably okay with it for me, okay? Maturity, maturity in our faith today is perhaps the greatest asset or the greatest weapon of the church in this current cultural moment. I want to say it again because I mean it with all my heart. Maturity in our faith, believers that are mature, maturing, is perhaps the greatest asset of the local church in this cultural moment. What is, everybody, maturity? There are tons of definitions. Here is the definition a la Brian, okay? Maturity for me is the art of applying revealed wisdom. It is the art of applying revealed wisdom. Here's what I mean. In Matthew 7, verse 24 to 27, you could read the story later. It's a familiar story to many of you. Jesus is talking about the two men who each build a house. One builds a house on the sand and the other builds it on the the rock. Okay. And the storm comes and the house built on the sand, it falls down. Can you hear the little tune going off in your head? I can, all right. And, And the storm came down and the house fell, but the house that was built on the rock stood firm. Okay. Listen to Jesus in verse 24. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. It's like the wise man who built his house upon a rock. Here's the difference. The smart person hears, but the mature person applies what they hear. That's why maturity is the art of the application of revealed wisdom. You see, the world you and I live in, and it's a brilliant world. I'm not a world hater. The world is issues, but I'm optimistic about the world. The world is God's creation. He's made the world. I love life. I love living. I love the world. I love where we live. I love the nation of Ireland. It's wonderful. But with all this, all this post-truth, post-modern, post-COVID worldviews and belief systems, now go back to what I said earlier, your world, our world, my world has never needed a mature church like it does now. Church is full of people who know how to handle the Word of God, who know how to live like Jesus. Amen? I want to tell you a story. I don't want to tell the story, but I'm going to tell it anyway because it's embarrassing to me. About three or four years ago, we found ourselves on holiday overlooking uh, Carlingford Lock, okay? I'm not sure if I've shared this with you before. If I have, nod like it's your first time. And 
Uh, the place we were staying at is a pastor friends of ours, and it's a lovely static home, it's, and they've got facing right out onto the bay, beautiful. It's got the window of the thing, of the caravan, beach, sea. Mmm, <laughs> fantastic, okay, and the sun shone, it was awesome. Next to the, the, the caravan outside, he has two kayaks, okay, to go out into the lock. You go kayaking, anyone ever been kayaking? I'd never been kayaking in my life until that moment because yours truly does not do deep water. If I can't feel it on my feet, I will not go into it, okay? So for the first three or four days of the holiday, I watched my kids much, much, much younger than me go into the sea, giving a Daddy, I can see a seal. I'm like, oh, good for you. And all the while inside here, I was going, I wish I could go, Karen. I wish I could go onto the water because that looks awesome. They had life jackets. They had all the sea. It was all good. Nothing would happen. So it was like Monday, I thought, okay, I'm going to go today. I'm going to go today. Monday came and went. I'm going to go Tuesday. Today's the day. Tuesday came and went. Wednesday morning. That's it. We're leaving on Friday. Anyone ever been here? We're going to go. This is the day. I'm going. So I said to Peter, come with me. Bring that boat, that yacht, that thing, that kayak, whatever it is. And I'm there, you know, leather, leather, life jackets, two of them. I've got, you know, I've got flare guns like pistols. I've phoned the RNLI just in case there's a helicopter above, whatever. And so I get into the, he, Peter takes the kayak, he pushes it to the, this is the sand, this is the sea, and he pushes it to there, okay? Like we are no more than ankle deep in water, okay? I'm like getting in, hold on to me, hold on to me, hold on to me, and I'm in, and this is the most embarrassing bit. My son was 15 at the time. I'm maybe 47. I said, son, put your hand on my shoulder and walk me up the sea. And bless him, he did. He's like walking a dog. He's walking his dad, right? And all of a sudden, I'm like, this isn't so bad. This isn't so bad. 20 minutes later, I'm doing laps of the Isle of Man. I can't see where I'm going. This is fantastic. All of a sudden, my fear was completely gone. Anyone have that sort of thing? What on earth was I worried about? Now, I tell you this story because it's funny to me and a lot embarrassing, okay? But there were in this story two forces at work that in the moment were more forceful than anything else I believed. And the two forces are fear and drift. Fear and drift. The first force was this unhealthy internal narrative that was going off inside my head, driven by fear, telling me that if you get into the water, you big Egypt, you're going to drown. No one else has drowned in history of, of the Carlingford Lock with life things on. That's never happened, but you will be the first, my friend, and you'll be all over the news. The second thing was drift. And drift is scarier than fear because drift was where the power of the tide was unknowingly moving me away from where I thought I was. Anyone ever been affected by the tide? You think you're here? You know when you go on the beach, you leave your bag there, then you go and you swim a bit, and you're like over there, and your bag's like miles away? The tide has drifted you off, and you knew nothing about it until you looked up. These two forces are very much at work in the world, and maybe they are at work within you. And the problem of both these forces, or really any force, is that they determine how you think, and then how we think determines the choices you make, and the choice you make determines how you live your life. Is that fair? 
How you think informs your choices, and the choices you make informs your life. Our lives are nothing more than a compendium or a collection of decisions and choices we've made. And so in our post-pandemic world, we live in this effects of COVID. And of course, the COVID thing is more than physical. There is emotional, there's society impacts. And I think we're still trying to figure all of that out. But we're in church today, and the same has gone for our faith. And like you, I can, I can look around churches, I look around the nation, I look around the country, and I see and discover how many people have left their faith, how many people have left their church, and it's just really sad, everybody. It's not fair, it's just really sad. And I'm not going to get into all the whys and the hows and the views and perspectives and conspiracy theories and differing opinions, blah, 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 blah. But what I've seen is these two forces at work in the COVID pandemic, fear and drift. And fear has been informing the decisions of some people. And now we've settled a little bit. They're looking up from their fear and they discovered they've drifted so far away, unknowingly, from the life they live and especially in their faith and from their church. And they wonder, how can I, should I, will I ever get back to where I was? Can I go a bit deeper? Church, open arms. The problem wasn't and the problem is not COVID. COVID was nothing more than an accelerator and a revealer. In other words, COVID created an environment where things that were always going to happen just happened much more quickly. But also, things like beliefs and habits and thinking that were always in us were squeezed out of us and revealed because of the pressure. So what's the real problem? Are you ready for the real problem? As I see it. The real problem is this, is a biblical glowdown. It is a biblical glowdown. There's lots of problems, lots of issues, but for me, one of the large problems was believers having this inability to think theologically about how to navigate the world we are in, how to turn to the Word of God and apply the principles of God's Word and Christ's likeness to navigate and to live through the pandemic. And I believe this, that we are the royal we, not just us, me included. We're becoming increasingly unable to apply the revealed wisdom of God to the world that we live in. We're increasingly becoming biblically immature. We are in this biblical glowdown. COVID revealed for many people that Facebook and Twitter did a better job of discipling them than Jesus. We have a beautiful little dog at home called Arthur. He's a black cocker spaniel, and 95% of the day, he's out of his mind. Twice a day, we feed him the massive bowl of stuff, especially when it's me, because I overfeed him, because that's what you do. He eats well. Twice a day. This thing's like a mountain. You put a flag on it, okay? But if there are other people in the kitchen or in the house, okay, who have little bits of food, little bits of food, okay, he will take the little bits of food from them while ignoring the big bowl of food at the door. Why? Because he's only one. He's not mature enough to know there's a big pile of food there. I'd rather have the tiny bit of food here. And if we are not careful, we will become like spiritual spaniels. We will ignore the big bowl of food that is here and run about taking tidbits from everybody else. 
We can never be happy to be pastored by a podcast. It cannot be enough to be satisfied with one-liners and soundbites. It cannot be enough to be fed spiritually with social media feeds. Facebook cannot do a better job at raising your faith than the Word of God. Amen? We can't go there. Instead, let's get into the Word. Let's look at Jesus and let's listen to Jesus and what Jesus says. Let's apply that to our lives because when we do, Paul says in verse 14 and 15, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. How many people People have been discipled by RTE, BBC, CNN, blah, 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 blah. When we have the living, active, vibrant Word of God that we can chew on and eat of forever and a day. So if you want to glow up for God, we need to grow up in Jesus. And you know what? I want to start with me. So we've got some time left. I haven't got long. Let me give you three or four ways that we can get this glow up going and uh, so that we can navigate and thrive and survive in the world we're in today. Number one, we've got to glow up in community. Glow up into community. The Bible says, verse 2 in our text, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. <sighs> really, Paul? Really? Completely humble? Not just a bit humble, not like humble when I'm in church. Of course you can sit there, you take my space, blah, blah. But completely humble and gentle. Our girls, they, they've always shared one bedroom. It's, a, it's our old bedroom. When they got bigger, they took our bedroom with the ensuite, <laughs> right? And um, when they moved in there from the... In the nursery, which was the nursery, fancy word for smaller bedroom, okay, moved in there, and they were toddlers. We discovered something they did, which we didn't know they did, and we call it squirreling. What they would do when they were tiny is, because they shared a space, they would take some of their own clothes and toys and sweets, and they'd put them in a ball and hide them away from the other two. So the other two wouldn't play with them or steal them or wear them or eat them or whatever, okay? And we only discovered this because we would tidy the room from time to time. Occasionally, you go into your daughter's room to tidy it and, you know, abandon hope while you enter, all right? I'm serious, okay? In other words, they took their own stuff and they hid it and they returned to it when they wanted to play with it, all right? And they, they kept it away from prying eyes and nobody could do it. And, and, and it's an incredible thing altogether. And here they were, three young girls living in community, okay? But what they were doing, they were living without bearing with one another. They weren't sharing with one another. They weren't being gentle with one another or kind to one another. How many people know, okay, you can be in the same room with other people and withhold from them all the valuable stuff you carry? How many people know you can be in the same church Yes, sharing the same time, here we are, it's, it's 10.54 where you are and me. We're sharing the time and we're sharing the space and we're sharing our faith and at the same time withholding something valuable that you need to share. I'm serious. Squirreling 
I don't, that may not be a thing, I've made this up, but squirreling might be a sweet behavior for a toddler, but now, at the 23rd of June, our girls will be 17, and pretty much they've worked out now that they're older, that they can share everything. We still have our moments, okay? It's not Little House in the Prairie in Eglinton, please hear me, okay? But they've worked out to share their lives, their stuff, their personal space. They, they're humble and gentle and patient, and they bear with one another in love, most of the time. They've got there because they're older. You see, maturity in community looks around the room with different eyes. Maturity looks and it focuses on what we have in common, not what we haven't got in common. How many people know there's room for everybody on the common ground? There's room for everybody. When you look around this room, see what you have in common. What do you think you have in common straight off the bat? Jesus! And that's enough to unite you. More on that in a minute. Maturity in community has real expectations. Maturity knows you're not perfect. So maturity does not expect you to be perfect. Okay? Maturity in community knows that everyone has a story, including you and including me. So therefore, we show you empathy and grace, not judgment and condemnation. Uh, and condemnation. Maturity in community, here's a good one, doesn't need to have the last word. Ever in a conversation with someone and you want to finish their sentences because you have something in your head you want to say? Men, oh, it's me all the time, seriously, like, oh. Sometimes our need to prove we are right needs to bow the knee to another's need to be loved and accepted. Gentleness in our text means meekness, and meekness means strength under control. And maturity in community, it just thinks differently. First Peter 3, verse 8 says, finally, be all like-minded. All like-minded, compassionate, loving as brothers and sisters, tender-hearted, courteous. That's a new way to think right there, like-minded. But mature Christians, mature believers, they make a decision. I'm going to look for what is on the common ground, and I'm going to think like that. The second thing really quickly is to, number two, is to glow up in unity. Hello? Am I still on? Glowing up in unity. Here's what happens when unity breaks down. There is a huge downward cycle that gets worse at every level. First of all, there's differences. Then there's disagreements. Then there's discord. Then there's division. And then there's departure. Well, that never starts, it doesn't start with departure. It starts with an unhealthy way to deal with differences. Here's what Paul says in verses 3 to 6. He says, look, make every effort. And it's interesting what he says. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, not the church. Oh, don't work hard to keep the church together. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, you want to stay together, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, the I am, the, the eminence of God. Paul does not say, hey, work hard at keeping unity in the church, work hard at being friends, work hard at putting a smile on your face. No, no, no. He says, if you want unity in your church, then look at the work and the role of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He says, the one Spirit is the basis of our unity. Because of the Spirit, we have a body to unite in. 
Watch this. The one Lord is the focus of our unity. Because we have Jesus, we have a faith to unite too. And then God is the designer of our unity. And because of the Father, we have a purpose to unite for. We're united because He wants the return of His creation to come back to Him through faith in Jesus. Andy Stanley says this, and I wish I made this line up, but I didn't. He says, differences are inevitable, but division is a choice. Oh, what a line. Differences, of course, you have all looked different. Of course, they're inevitable. But division is a choice we make. Can I, I've said some big things this morning. Let me just carry on. Church splits should never happen. Theologically. But when Christians stay connected to a church because they're united to a pastor, they're united to a personality, they're united to a style or a preference, what happens when the pastor moves on or the style changes for a season? Paul is saying that our unity is not based on what the church does. Our unity is based on who fills and grows and purposes the church. That is, our unity is based around the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so open arms, if this is your home church and you're saying, I'm at the core team meeting because I'm on the core team, not the community team meeting, not the congregational team meeting, the core. I'm at the core. If this is who you are, I want to encourage you, don't unite behind a hotel. Don't unite behind a worship team. Don't unite behind a pastor. Unite behind the Trinity that's moving in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in this Church, in Jesus' name. Come on. I'll take two more minutes, then I'm done. Number three, glow up in diversity. Glow up in diversity. Yes? In unity, we've got diversity. 11 and 12, it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, etc. Right now, for Judith and I, a popular question is this. What about the kids? What do they want to do after school? They've one year left, and then it's university, and it might well mean cheerio. Two, six, back to two. Just like that, right there. And so they're just saying to us, what do you want to do? Wouldn't it be weird if we said, they all want to do the same thing? They all want to be exactly the same. They all want to do the same thing. They all want to be pastors. Why? They want to be nurses or they want to be teachers. They all, they all want to, no one expects that. Not one person that we talk to expects me to say they're all going to be the same thing when they grow up. That would just be weird, okay? They all want to pursue something different even though they come from the same household. Why? Simple. Because you can belong to the same family. You can share the same faith. You can love the same Jesus. You can embrace the same values and have very different gifts. Amen. Amen? And guess what? Here's the big thing. We love them all the same. It don't matter what gifts they have. We love them because they are ours. Not because of what they do, but because of who they are. They're mine. And I don't have one child who's copying another because they're not sure. They're very sure. They're aggressively sure in our house. And I want to encourage you today that if maturity is the application of revealed wisdom, then it's vital that you 
and the church and in the world you in, that you occupy, that you apply, that you grow, and that you invest in the gifts that God has given you in the world in which you live. Yes? Do we know, I keep saying this, do we know what our gifts are? Please, I said this before too, go all American on me, okay? Ever met a shy American? Thanks, Blake. I love American people. They know exactly who they are, what God has given them to do, and they move in it. Come on. Now, I believe America needs more Irish. Amen. But we could do with a little bit of the old stars and stripes when it comes to our gifts. Amen. Come on. Let's believe that God has equipped you with gifts and talents. And then let's use them. And then once you're using them, take some time to invest in them and then use them at a next level. You know what the number 11 is? One at the next level. Don't be content to stay at a 10 because secondary school means you're the lowest in the class now. Oh, no, no. It's time to go to the next level. Kieran and Tracy are going to plant the church. Going from 10 to 11. Brand new plant, but it's one at the next level. But they're at the next level because they're growing and investing in the gifts and the call that God has put on their life. Isn't it exciting? Give them a huge encouragement. Come on. It's amazing. It really is. So I want to encourage you. Let's go for it. Blake, come on up here if you're here. Where's Blake? Are you there, man? Come on up. And then finally, and then I am done. Coffee. I can, you're parched. I can see you. You're like, please, seriously. And the final thing, and it's really, really short. And the final thing is glow up in divinity. And this is my favorite bit. Glow up in divinity. Paul writes in verse 16, he says, From him, the whole body, joined and held together. Here's what happens. It grows and it, listen, listen, it builds itself up. And then he kind of contradicts himself. He says, but as each part does its work. So what you have is it, it builds itself up and each part does its work. There's a bit that Jesus does and a bit that you do. Maturity is in the life of a believer, and this is, the, this is my response moment for you. Maturity is not content to know about the cross. Maturity is not just, just to savor the benefits of the cross, though I believe that we need to do that every day. I believe it's perfectly right for you and me to appropriate to our hearts the benefits of Christ on the cross, to appropriate the benefits of being forgiven, to be blood washed, to be our conscience wiped clean, to get a new start every day. His mercies are new every day. But more than that, maturity, listen to me, maturity climbs up on the cross and yields its life for others. It's not enough to come to church and look at the cross. My challenge to myself and to you is, will you get on the cross and yield your life for others? To climb up on the cross and truly live like Jesus as he holds everything together. Come on, let's stand for me a second. Let's stand. Why is, you can bow your heads, why is maturity, maturity in our faith, why is it your greatest asset, the greatest weapon, if you will, in the church, in, just in this current moment? 
Because maturity chooses them before me. Maturity fights for unity through the power of the Trinity. Maturity celebrates its gifts for the good of others. And maturity surrenders its own life and embraces the life of Christ for the sake of the world. So Father, we've there's been a lot of stuff today. It's been a big talk. We've heard lots of things. But Holy Spirit, I just want to invite you in this moment just to bring to mind anything that we've said today that we need to leave church today with. And it might have been the squirreling story, it might have been the fear, the drift. It might have been one of the four points, the gifts, the unity. It might have been the whole idea of surrendering on the cross. So Lord, I pray for all of us and whatever it is, I pray God that we will apply revealed wisdom to our lives today. That Father, we will become and remain and being built up into this church of mature believers able to understand the word of God for the times we are in. To be, to be pastored by your word, to be pastored by your spirit, to be pastored by the Father. Lord, to know how to navigate our marriages and our relationships, to navigate our finances, to navigate our thinking, to navigate our, our families. Father, to maybe turn down the volume on all the other things that come up on our feed. And Lord, tune in to what you're saying to us in this moment. And so, Father, we just bless you. We just bless you.